This week, life is always at some turning point. Life is always at some turning point. That's a true statement. Now, John 2, the first five verses, we're jumping right into reading about the first miracle that Jesus ever performed. He did it at a wedding. So let's read in John chapter 2, verse 1. I love to hear the rustling of Bible pages. It says, on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Now, Christ is about to respond to his mother, and I don't want you to take it wrong. It sounds like he's being mean. But here's what he's saying to her before we read it. He's saying, he's saying, I've got it all under control. I know what's going on. Just let me handle it. So here's what he says to her. Woman. (laughs) See me telling my mother this. She's on the front row. Woman. What is your concern have to do with me. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, can we read it together? Whatever he says to you, do it. Now that's the best advice a mother ever gave. If you can give your children that advice, and if you can take this advice, you will fare well in life. So let's read it again together. Whatever he says to you, do it. Father, thank you for your word today. I pray that you'll bless it to our hearts and that this will be a congregation filled with people who go out living out the best advice a mother could give. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you better listen, you're going to need this. <laughs> now, this is so powerful. And uh, I want to point out that Jesus went to the wedding probably because it was either Mary's in-laws or Joseph's in-laws, but I find it interesting that the first miracle he performed was at a wedding. My Jesus would not have gone to a wedding if he did not agree with marriage and if he didn't put his seal of approval on marriage. So I want you to notice that his first miracle was at a wedding. He was putting his, his Messiah seal of approval on marriage. So you can know that if your marriage is struggling, he's fighting with you, not against you. He's for you. Amen? Now, I cannot think of a problem or a circumstance or an emergency where I would not give this advice to somebody in need. Whatever he says to you, do it. I have found that we really don't experience God in our life until we do what he's commanded us to do. Some of you have got a need in your life, and you already know deep down inside what he's told you to do about it. And one of the reasons you haven't had an answer yet is because you haven't done what he told you to do. 
Isn't it amazing how we'll try a hundred different things before we are reduced to this? Whatever he says to you, do that. I found this about God. It doesn't matter what my situation is, what my need is, where I find myself in life, how desperate I am, how clueless I might be. He has an answer for me. And I find that when I do what he says, then I see the results he wants me to have. Folks, we've got to do the word of God, not just hear it. Mary said, whatever he says to you, be sure that you do it. And a lot of times what he tells you to do doesn't make any sense. Now, we're going to see that in just a second. The setting here is Jesus has been invited to a wedding, as we've already seen. And, and uh, a problem arises. And it's a problem of lack. It's a problem of need. It doesn't matter what the need was. It's a problem of need, of lack. They have no wine. The wine ran out at the wedding. And Jesus informed his mother, hey, I've got it under control. I know the need. And church, isn't it true that he knows what we need before we even ask him for it? He knows what we need. He knows what you need today. He knows where you are today in your life. He knows that you need those finances. He knows you need that job. He knows you need that breakthrough in your marriage. He knows you need that breakthrough over that temptation or that habit. She then turned to the servants, Mary that is, and gave this timeless advice. Whatever he tells you to do, that's what you do. Now Jesus told them to do some weird things. They needed wine, but he pointed to six water pots that were standing there. These water pots held about 20 to 30 gallons apiece. And Jesus said to the servants, I want you to fill the water pots with water. Now that doesn't make any sense because they needed wine, not water. But he said, fill the water pots with water. And once you do that, I want you to pour some out and take it to the host. Well, if you're these servants, this is setting you up to feel stupid. Because the master of ceremonies and the host are looking for wine. Not water. Everybody's got water. But Jesus said, I want you to take the water. And I want you to fill up those water pots. Then I want you to put a cup in, draw some out. And then I want you to take it to the master of ceremonies like you're carrying something good to him. There was a moment between the word and obedience and the result where they had to walk in faith. And so do we. This did not make intellectual sense. It wasn't commonsensical. It didn't make sense. Here is Jesus telling them to do something contrary to what they needed. Just like when somebody offends you and instead of taking vengeance, he says, why don't you bless them? That doesn't make sense. How many of you have ever wanted to dispense Texas justice? But he says, bless those that curse you. Do good to those that hate you. That doesn't make any sense. Or if you are in financial need, God says, give. That does not make sense. It seems to me if I'm in financial need, I ought to get, I ought to take. But the Bible says, given it shall be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will men give into your bosom. That doesn't make sense. And what Jesus told them to do did not make sense, but they did it. Whatever he says to you, do it. And so they did it. And they had to fill 
minimum 120 gallons of water in these water pots. That took a while, so every time they poured water in, they're moving in faith. They don't understand the Word of the Lord. They just know that He says to do it. Whatever He says to you, you do that. Don't do anything else. Now the Bible says this was Jesus' first miracle. They did it. And when they drew the water out of the water pot and carried it to the master of ceremonies, he drank it. And he said, you have saved the best for last. Where did you get this? My soul, I can't believe. I've never tasted anything like this in my life. And here the servants are coming to the realization that between obeying the word and the execution of the word, between receiving the command and doing the command, Jesus had performed a miracle, and that's the way that it works. It's as you go in obedience, as you walk in obedience to his word, something is released into your life. It is putting feet to your faith. It is when you mix the word with faith. It doesn't do you any good to hear the word and not do the word. It really releases the blessing when we say, I've heard the word of God. I've heard that I've got to forgive. I've heard that he wants me to go to that person and get things right. I've heard that he wants me to give my money, little though it be. I heard the word of the Lord come to my life. And lo and behold, between receiving it and doing it, something happened. The water was changed to wine. Jesus did a miracle in my life. Church, he wants to do a miracle in your life. He does. Now, I want to know if I'm talking to people here today who want to see God move in your life. Am I talking to people who are here to be religious or people who want to see God do something in your life? Break that habit off your life. Heal that marriage in your life. Break your finances. Am I here talking to people who want to see God do something in your life. Come on, everybody. I think that's who I'm talking to, and I'll tell you how it happens. Whatever he says to you, do it, and that's what releases the power of God. Now, as I read this story this week, something just began to jump out at me. I began to see some things in here that I believe he wants us to see today. You know, there's a best-selling book out now called The Secret. Shh. It's a real secret. I read excerpts from The Secret. Ain't no secret to it. It's just retread new age philosophy. It's not a secret. And it's already beginning to dip in sales, and it should, because it's not a secret. But I'm going to tell you a secret today. I'm going to tell you how Jesus works. And that's a secret we need to know, isn't it? How many of you want to know how Jesus works? How how Jesus can operate in your life? I don't want to have a religion. I don't want to have a faith. I don't want to bother going to church if God's not going to do something for me. If I go to church, if I get in my car and drive there and sit in that chair, I want to get something I can put in my pocket and take home and use tomorrow. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you some secrets today that if you'll do it, it will change your life. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, it's a secret. Now tell the other person on the other side of you, not anymore. The first thing I see in this story is that Jesus chose to use people to bring about his miracles. Jesus calls us to play a part 
in the miracles he does. Now, I got to tell you today, Jesus Christ was God. And if you didn't know that Jesus Christ was God, let me inform you of what the Bible says about him. The Bible says that God wrapped himself in skin, was born of a virgin, was born into this world so that he could feel our pain, so that he could die for our sins, so that he could be resurrected from the dead that we might live. Jesus was not a first century long-haired, sandal-wearing hippie like we see painted on so many church walls who just went around saying good things, inspiring sayings, a poetic personality, a philosopher. That is not what he was. He was God wrapped in flesh. God was born in a manger. God looked at people through the eyes of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John tells us nothing that was made was made without Him. He was active in the creation of the world. There is not another like Jesus Christ. You can't hold Him up against Buddha, Muhammad, or any other world religious leader. There is none like him. He's the only one in the history of mankind who was born of a virgin. He's the only one who came to die for our sins. He's the only one to be crucified so that we could live. He's the only one who rose from the clammy grave so that we could also be raised from the dead. There's not another. He's in his own sphere. He's in his own stratosphere. There's not another Christ, not another Messiah. He's the only one. He is Lord of Lords, King of Kings, the Messiah of the world. I came to preach Jesus up today. I'm tired of him being diluted and polluted and watered down out there in the culture. I want to tell you the truth about him. Nobody has died for your sins. Nobody was God in flesh but him. And this Jesus chose to use people when he didn't really have to. Because you see, since he was there active in creation, and he said, let there be light, and there was light. He said, let there be the birds in the air and the fishes in the sea and the mammals walking on the earth, and let us create man. Jesus Christ was there at the beginning. He had the ability to make something out of nothing. He had the ability, the creative ability, to speak and cause something to come out of nothing. So he could have looked at those water pots and said, let there be wine, and wine would have appeared. Because that's what he had the power to do. But he didn't do it. He chose to use people in their performance of a miracle. And I want you to understand, he's got his hand on your life. It is when you obey him, he does miracles through you. He wants to do miracles through you and me. This principle is all throughout the Bible. He commanded his disciples. He, they, they took the five loaves of bread and the two fishes. He had blessed them. They began to give them out to people. He could have just commanded bread to fall out of heaven like he did manna in the wilderness. But he did not. He wanted to use people. He wants to use you and me. And so he gave the bread to the disciples, and they began to break it off and give it to people. And every time they broke it off, more appeared. And they broke it off again, and more appeared. I believe it was a major Pentecost moment by the time they were at the end of that crowd, and they had seen 5,000 men, women, and children fed from five loaves of Wonder Bread. This was the original Wonder Bread. 
And it happened because he chose to use people. And we've got to understand this principle. This is the secret. This is a secret. This is how Jesus works. When he wants to touch somebody else, he touches you so you'll touch somebody else. He wants you to be the breaker of the bread. He wants you to be the distributor of the wine. He wants you to be the one out there with a testimony. He wants you to be the one out there ministering to people. He uses people. That's a secret, but it's no longer a secret. I don't want it to be a secret in this church. When God wants to bless somebody else, he blesses you so that you'll go bless somebody else. That's why some of you are going through hell right now. You're going through a very difficult time. You know why? Because that's God's going to give you a testimony. You know what a testimony is? A testimony is when you've had a test and you've had some moaning and you put them together after you've been through the valley and come out on the other side. You've been into the pit and you've come back out. You've seen that even though you couldn't do it, God could do it. And God carried you through that valley of the shadow of death, brought you out on the other side. You had a test and you had some moaning. But now you've come out in victory and you've got a testimony. And that's what testimonies are. Amen. So get ready. Some of you that are really going through a hard time, you're not going through it alone. The fourth man is in the fire with you. The fourth man is down there dancing with you. The fourth man is going to carry you through, and you're going to come out with not even the smell of smoke on you. The only thing that's going to be burned off is the ropes that held you before you went in. You're going to come out freer than you were before, with more victory than you had before, with a greater testimony than you knew before. It's going to work together for your good. So hang on. The grace of God is working in your life. We're going to see you shine. We're going to hear the testimony God's going to give on your life. Jesus chose to use people. Mary and Martha had to roll the stone away before Jesus could get to their brother. Peter had to step out of the boat before he could walk on the water. The disciples had to cast their net on the right side of the boat before they could catch a net breaking boat sinking load. Jesus is going to ask you to do something to release the miracle he wants on your life. And he uses people. He could have easily filled the water pots without the use of a person. But he chose to use people. And you know, it all begins the minute that we follow Mary's advice. Whatever he says to you, do that. Soon you're going to find you've got something others need. And you're going to sense that same prompting the servants did. Now take some of what I've given to you and carry it to those who are in need. So you can say with me, secret number one is when we obey Jesus, we are not only blessed ourselves, but we have something to give to others. Now, the second secret that I see here that I don't want to be a secret in this church anymore is Jesus chose, this really blessed me. Jesus chose to transform what already existed. Rather than create something out of nothing, Jesus chose to transform what already existed. Now, I read that and I read that and I thought, now, why would he fool with 
causing them to take 120 gallons of water and put them in those water pots and go to all that trouble. And then it occurred to me he was showing us something, and it was a secret, but it's something we can all know now. Jesus is a transformer. Jesus chooses to transform rather than start all over. Jesus transforms what already exists. He chose to transform one thing, the water, into another thing completely the wine. And this is the way that God works. Now, I want you to hear me on this today. Jesus is a Lord and a Christ and a Messiah who wants to change you, who wants to transform you, who wants to take what already exists and change it and transform it by his power. Jesus wants to change you. That's why the Bible says, Jesus said, you must be born again. Or you will never see the kingdom of God. He was saying, I don't want to give you a New Year's resolution. And I'm not talking about rehabilitation. I'm talking about transforming you. I changed water to wine. I changed it from one thing to another. And that's what I want to do with you. I don't want to do away with you because of your sin. How many of you can admit, but for the grace of God, I would have been a grease spot a long time ago. But see, he doesn't want to do away with you because of your sin. He wants to transform you by the power of God. He wants to give you a heart transplant. That's why it says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The reason this blessed me is because I know that Jesus changes lives. Jesus changes from one thing into another thing. The Bible says... Paul wrote, when someone becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person inside. He's not the same anymore. A new life has begun. We confuse Christianity with religion. Christianity is not a religion. Jesus did not come to give us a religion. Religion means I'm doing my best. I'm doing my best to cut it. I'm doing my best to get there. I'm doing my best to earn my points. I'm doing my best to find favor. But real Christianity says, I sent my only begotten son to die on your behalf. And his righteousness has become your righteousness. His purity has become your purity. He took your place on the cross so that you could be redeemed, not by works, but by the blood. Christianity is not a religion, folks. It is not trying to be accepted by God. It is receiving what God has already done. So I go to the foot of the cross and I receive his forgiveness. And there at the cross, there is a power waiting for you and me. He's called the Holy Ghost. And there at the foot of that bloody cross, when you say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins, the moment you do, that Spirit of God comes into your heart comes into your soul and changes you from the inside out. And the same miracle that happened from the water into the wine happens with you. I'm not here today because I chose ministry as a career choice. I'm here today because many, many years ago, I was sitting in juvenile detention center for drugs. There sits my mother. She knows. 
And sitting in the juvenile detention center, I heard a message. And the message was the one I'd never heard before. It was about Jesus Christ and how he died for us and rose again from the dead. And when I heard that message, I stood up. I knew that something I was hearing was true. And I was evil. I was mean. I was bad. I was was a delinquent kid. But when I said, Jesus, come into my heart, the one who changed the water into the wine reached down and poured the new wine into my soul. And I got born again. He gave me a heart transplant. He changed me from the inside out. He really renewed me and reinvigorated, gave me life for the first time in my life. And I'm telling you, he transforms people. And I don't know where you are in your life, but you need to be born again if you never have been. If you're not born again, you will never see the kingdom of God. But Jesus transforms. He transforms situations. Please understand with me, that's what he chooses to do. Sometimes we want him to start all over. But he says, no, I want to transform it. He changes one thing into another. He chooses transformation. That's why we got that building. When I got that building out there on 35 and I-20, I took one look at that thing the first time I saw it, and I said, no way. There is no way I'm going to meet there. I went all through it. It it, it was just overwhelming to me. I drove away, and the Lord said, I can transform it. Some of you have gone out there, and you've looked at it before it's been painted, before lately, and you said, Pastor Jeff, he missed the Lord. But we will go there with him and suffer with him. We'll, we'll go there and, and, and uh, we'll just, because we love him and, we, and he's our pastor, we'll go. But oh, did he miss God. I could have thought of this or I could have thought of that. But God chose that building because he's going to turn water into wine. We're going to see divine activity on that building. I want you to hear me on this one. We're going to see the Spirit of God move on that place. We're going to see people drawn from the north, south, east, and the west. That building and that church is going to be like a supernatural spiritual magnet. They're going to come from everywhere. Lost people are going to walk in and not know why. And they're going to be changed and transformed just like we're reading today. We're going to see water, the water of a sinful life, turn into the wine of a saint of God. We're going to see people change and rearrange, drug addicts set free, prostitutes delivered, We're going to see people call out on the name of the Lord. Marriages healed in the altar. Children brought back to God. I'm prophesying over our new building today. I'm not going out there to have religious church. I'm going out there believing the Holy Ghost is going ahead of me. And I know that he's preparing hearts and preparing the way right now. As we speak, he's moving in that area, touching people, touching lives, preparing families, preparing marriages, preparing singles who are going to walk in there and have their lives changed. I'm not going to preach three points and a poem. I'm going to preach the blood. I'm going to preach the cross. I'm going to preach Jesus saves. I'm so tired of diluted, polluted, watered-down Christianity that couldn't save a mosquito on a rainy day. I want you to know we need to hear the real word, the real gospel that cuts into your heart, cuts into your soul, changes your life, delivers you from the devil and from sin. I'm forewarning you. 
I'm feeling radical. I want a revolution. Some of you saying, Mom, where'd you bring me today? Let me tell you, child, she brought you to church. She brought you to hear the Word of God. I'm feeling revolutionary. I'm feeling radical. I don't want to go have religion. I want to see the Spirit of God fall. I want to see the chains snapped. I want to see the shackles of bondage broken. I want to see the fetters fall off. I want to see the bound go free. I want to see the slaves get liberated. I want to see God move. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God to salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek and all the Gentiles. (laughs) I hear you think, well, he's wound up today. No, I'll tell you something, folks. I'm going to roar, and every every church in America better start roaring. I'm going to prophesy to you. Every church in America better start roaring. Every pastor, every preacher better drop all religious pretense and take this word as it is and preach it to men as they are. Stand up tall for Jesus Christ. Don't sidestep the issue. Don't duck and dodge. Don't be ashamed of the one who walked up Golgotha's hill for you and died on that cross of shame. Don't you ever be ashamed of him. Don't sell out to the feel-good cotton candy candy apple, go nowhere, Christianity light floating around out there all over the place. I hate Christianity light. I want Christianity heavy. I want Christianity real. I want Jesus in mega doses because he heals. He sets free. He delivers. He releases people from the things that are tormenting them. He went about everywhere doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil, and he hadn't changed. Not only does he transform lives, but think about yourself for a minute. He wants to transform your circumstances rather than change them. He just might. Sometimes he delivers from, but sometimes he delivers in them. He may want to transform that person in your life rather than replace them. He may have your attitude or character marked for transformation. And out of that miracle, he'll one day say, now... Pour some of that miracle out and carry it to others. Now, the last thing I see in this story, Jesus changed a lesser to a greater. Jesus changed a lesser to a greater. Think with me just for a moment about sin. Disobedience to God, sin, and its effect on us. Let's talk about sin. Sin always subtracts. Sin takes what is beautiful and makes it ugly. Sin takes what is strong and makes it weak. Takes what is solid and shatters it. Sin diminishes, destroys, deletes, and detracts from you. Sin, like Jesus, is a transformer in the opposite direction. It transforms a greater to a lesser. Sin always subtracts. Oh, the devil will tell you you're not having your life 
subtracted from. He'll tell you that you're gaining from sin, but he's a liar. He knows what's really behind every sin, every temptation. I want all of you to hear me because I know that church people get tempted in major ways every week, every day. Some of you young people tempted to drugs, to alcohol, to things that will destroy your life if you do it. And I'm here to tell you today the truth about sin. Don't let Satan lie to you about the nature of sin. It will kill you. It will deceive you. It will rob you. It will gut you. Sin will find you at the top and seduce and reduce you to a shell and a shadow of what you used to be. That's why I tell you that behind every temptation is the devil's dagger waiting to thrust you through. No fish that I've ever caught knew what was behind that bait. All he sees is that little lure. He doesn't see a line attached to a rod held by a big hand with a mind that intends to eat it. (laughs) And don't you know those fish are shocked every time when they go to grab just a little bite, a little snack, a quick McNugget, And they can't get away. And before you know it, they're being pulled in a way that they never intended to go. By a force they knew nothing about. And then they're pulled into a craft where there is a being that has planned all along to destroy it. That's the devil. You bite that meth You bite that crack cocaine one time, and before you know it, you're going where you never intended to go, doing what you never thought you would do, saying things you never thought you would say, running with people you wouldn't have had a thing to do with months before, and you're being reduced from a greater to a lesser until you're a slave. That's not God's will. I'm telling you the truth about sin and the devil. You don't need to try crack cocaine, crack alcohol, cigarettes, any of that. One time. I read recently the great preacher Charles Spurgeon said, if you can learn to say no, you know more than someone who learned to speak Latin fluently. The third secret to Jesus' miracles is he turns a lesser to a greater. He does the opposite. The master of ceremonies on drinking would have been transformed. This is what the Living Bible says. Said This is wonderful stuff. Usually a host uses the best wine first and afterward brings out the less expensive brands. But you've kept the best for last. This miracle illustrates perfectly what Jesus does with a life. Satan will take you down and destroy you. Don't you kid yourself. Young person, never touch that drug. Walk away from any fool. Any, I don't care what they call themselves to you. Your friend, if they're trying to get you on drugs, they're not your friend. They're the devil in disguise. You walk, you run, you turn. Don't touch it. Turn away from it. And go to him who will take a lesser and turn it into a greater. Amen. 
He transforms my Jesus, drunkards and thieves and liars and perverts, into saints of the living God. He changes lesser into a greater. The water of sinful human nature is transfigured into the wine of a graceful, God-honoring life. He turned a motley crew of blue-collar fishermen into fiery preachers of righteousness. He took an angry, church-persecuting Jew named Saul and turned him into the loving apostle to the Gentiles. And look at you. Look what God has done with you. Look where you used to be and look where you are now. Could you have ever imagined you'd be sitting in church on a beautiful day like today listening to somebody blabbing about Jesus like I am? No, but there you are. What's happened to you? One day the grace of God touched your life. He gave you a new nature and now he's turned a lesser into a greater. You used to drink, chew, smoke, chew, and run with the boys that do. Now you read your Bible, you get up and pray, you love God, you come to church, you lift your hands, you worship the one you love, somebody you have never seen, and one day you're going to heaven. Look what the grace of God has done in your life. (laughs) So I'm telling you today, here's the three secrets. He chose to use people like you and me. He chose to transform what was already there. And he changed a lesser into a greater. Isn't that beautiful? Whatever he says to you, if you do it, that's what's going to happen. My mother, she's here. Uh, My little mother, I prayed for her for years. And she would be the first to tell you. She made fun of me, didn't you? Tell the truth. <laughs> she made fun of me when I got saved. And I was, I was pretty obnoxious. I witnessed everything that moved. I would come in the house and talk to them about Jesus till they just wanted to head for the bathroom and throw up. I mean, it was just, here he comes again, lock the doors. We're not here. And they go to their rooms. But she did. She made fun of me. And for years, this went on. And one night, I was preaching in a very large church. And uh, in, in a rock wall. And I gave the invitation, as I always do, for souls. And down comes my, well, this is how it happened. A big crowd came down, and I'm about ready to lead them all in the sinner's prayer, and I'm walking along just kind of addressing them and exhorting them. I see this woman. Boy, she looks like my mother. <laughs> I need to find out who she is. And she looked up, and she had tears streaming down her face. My little sister, Janae, was with her. Raise your hand, Janae. She's right there, was with her. She's crying. And I forgot that my mic was hot. Mother, what are you doing here? How many years ago was that? 1990. Yeah. I'm probably going to be in real trouble when we go out to lunch, but it was such a thrill, a joy to to play a part in my mother's conversion to Christ. I didn't even know she was coming that night, but she said when she was sitting out there, something grabbed hold of her heart, and she knew that the son that she'd been making fun of was telling the truth. She knew it for a long time. But you see, folks, He changes people. 
Now my mother prays every morning at the rising of the sun, and all of us kids covet her prayers. Something about a praying mother. You just believe it's going through. She prayed for us to get a building. We got a whopper. You talking about catching a fish. So God changes people. Can we stand together? Anybody in here want to get a little bit revolutionary with me? Well, that was kind of convincing. Church, I'll tell you what. When they're blowing up people in public, when they're driving cars into public places and blowing people into oblivion, and they got that radical, it's time for the church to get radical with the spiritual weaponry. Spiritual weaponry. Because we're in a radical age. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your blessing today. We thank you that you're the Lord who changes. And we pray that today you will help all of us to do whatever you tell us to do. And therein lies our miracle. We thank you for it. Now you take a moment and just pray, Lord, whatever I need to do, whatever you're telling me to do, speak to me. Whatever you're saying about my need, grace me to hear it and to do it. And we're going to pray for one minute, and then we're going to let you go. Thank you, Lord.